Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast joining me via Zoom from his minivan where it's nice and quiet in his house is my friend and near Idaho Falls is my friend Chad, friend Chad Cannon. Welcome to the podcast, Chad. Hello. You are in your minivan, aren't you? In your garage because it's quiet. <laughs> just my car. But it's your car. It's not a minivan. It just looks like yeah, a okay. minivan. It's okay. I got a minivan. My kids are driving it right now. So, and this is just <laughs> audio. So it's a great place to be. It's quiet in cars. So I like that you're in your car and um, the car is not moving listeners. So it's just parked and <laughs> Chad can do the podcast. So I guess he could do it driving. Um, Chad reached out to me and we visited a little bit. Often, I don't know exactly where we're going to go on these podcasts, but as I visit with my guests, often those are pretty spiritual experiences as somebody opens up about their experience. So Chad is in his mid-40s, a married father of four, active in the church. As I mentioned, lives near Idaho Falls, served a mission in Anaheim, California. Um, Chad is somebody that's had a pornography addiction for I'll let him tell us how long and and that he and the steps he's taken to put that behind him. And for those of you, which are a lot of listeners working to solve pornography use, our joint prayers, the things Chad will share with you, will help you. Um, there's a lot of wonderful members of the church walking that road that didn't think they'd get on that road, and it's a pretty tough road to get off. But Often the people that I know that have been on that road understand the atonement as well as anybody I know and have um, insights into the atonement that can provide help and healing to all of us, um, regardless of um, our individual circumstances. Um, Chad is also a father, has LGBTQ um, family members, children, and and is pretty new on that road, but many of you are probably new on the road of being a parent of an LGBTQ child. So Chad will share some things that um, are his initial impressions about how best to parent a child in this space. Chad also has leukemia um, and has had that for a couple of years, and we may touch upon that, having an illness that is potentially a life-threatening illness and um, really sobering to have that at 45 when um, you would expect that you have many decades in front of you. So we may touch on that also as part of the podcast. Is that okay for an introduction, Chad? Yeah, that's fine. So do you want to, where do you want to start? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, I just don't know. So, um, I like say, I, I mean, I would, I guess I have had, uh, uh, struggle with pornography for, you know, as long as I can remember. I mean, I can remember instances of a little, being a little kid, but, you know, it was in my early teenage years that I was introduced to it. And, um, that just became a coping mechanism for like so many others, for so many things in my life that, you know, the, the acting out of viewing pornography and, 
and all that goes along with that just becomes a coping mechanism for all the bad things in life and a way to medicate. Um, and so that's what it became. And like others, you think that, oh, when I go on my mission, that'll solve the problem. And it just doesn't, you know, the, the lust doesn't go away. Um, uh, you know, the masturbation doesn't go away. Um, and you say, well, when I get married, that'll solve the problem. And it doesn't. And, you know, for a few months, you're good after you get married. And then something is triggering. And then you fall back into old habits. And um, anyways, and that went on forever. And, you know, when I have a kid, then I'll something will snap and I'll be changed and that doesn't solve the problem. And, you know, anyways. And so eventually after years of that and years of fighting, um, uh, I just said, you know what, I, I can't do this. I can't live this way. So I'm not going to go to church anymore. I am not, I, I believe in the church. I believe in the plan of salvation. I know the book of Mormon's true. I can't toe the line. I can't be good enough to be a member of the church. I wish I could. It's good people, but I can't be that good. I wish I could. And so I did that and I left the church for a while. Um, and my, my good wife stuck with me through everything. And, uh, she's just an amazing individual, but, and so I, you know, I wasn't a member of the church. It wasn't active, excuse me, for a while for a number of years. Um, and then I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of not being educated. I want to get an education so I can be of use. so I can get a good job. And so I looked around at different educational opportunities and, um, my wife's a teacher. And so, you know, with our limited finances, just thought, there's no way I can go to a state school. Really, the only option to me is to go to BYU-Idaho and online. And so that's something I could probably afford. And so I went to the bishop at the time and said, you know, will you please and give me an endorsement to go to school? Can you do that for me? And he said, yep, but you have to go to sacrament meeting. And if you can go to sacrament meeting every week, then I'll give you that endorsement. And I thought that was a pretty good trade-off. I can sit through sacrament um, just to, to be able to go to school and get my degree. And between sacrament meeting and um, the pathway program, I went through the pathway program at BYU-Idaho, which an amazing program. Um, I felt the spirit and there's that scripture in the book of Mormon that says, if you can no more than desire to believe, then let that desire work in you. And that's just what I did. I desired to believe. um, And I had good neighbors and good friends that loved me no matter what. And anyways, And so I started going back to church and got active. Um, And in particular, the thing that really solved the problem for me 
was the addiction recovery program. And I think that was an even harder step to take than going back to church. Because like, what if somebody sees me, right? Going to the the meeting, I look up the meetings and they're at the seminary building. Um, You know, what if somebody sees me that would know me, right? And I mean, I could go across town and all those, you have so many trepidations. So, but uh, anyway, so I went to the, those meetings and that, so there's, for me, there's two sacred places on this earth. And one is the temple and the other one is the addiction recovery meetings. Um, if someone, ha- if you want to feel the love of the savior, you'll go to those meetings and you'll pick up the dollar booklet, um, the addiction recovery program book. I've got mine here. I go through it all the time because that is a step-by-step guide to the atonement of the savior. Now, my particular problem obviously was pornography at the time, but like, even if you're a person who struggles with uh, coveting or anger or whatever the natural man is in you, if you desire to put that down and follow the Savior more, going through that booklet is the key to doing that because it exposes all of those faults and all of those failings. And then more importantly, it shows you how to lay those at the feet of the Savior um, and rely on Him and His grace. Uh, And then the healing can come. I feel like, for me, the healing came uh, through the Holy Ghost as as I did that. I mean, that's what cleanses and purifies us. And anyways, so that... You're very brave to talk about this, um, Chad but it helps reduce shame. It helps other listeners that need to hear somebody like you that's been on this road and has found a path to healing and hope. Um, Takes a lot of courage. Talk about, so respect from all the people listening that just want to give you a big virtual hug. I can see us on my Zoom screen, but they want to just give you a hug. Talk about um, what you learned about the Savior and the Atonement in the Addiction Recovery Program, because that's a consistent theme I hear is just, this is a really sacred place. And I love the way you, you talked about the temple as a sacred place. And this is a sacred place and what happens in those addiction recovery meetings. So tell, tell our listeners what you learned about the atonement or about the savior. Yeah. So the biggest thing, or if I could pick out one thing in there is so there's 12 steps that um, mirror the AA 12 steps, um, you know, but in the addiction recovery program, they add the influence of the savior in step six, it's the change of heart. Right. And this is after you've made an inventory of your life, both good and bad in step four. Um, and in step six, there is a phrase here that just hits me like a rock every time. So 
step six is change of heart. And it says, probably, probably the most humbling thing to acknowledge is that you still harbor a prideful desire to change without the help of God. And how often, especially those with addictions, you want to say, I can do this. I can be strong enough to do this on my own. Right. And I can, I just need to be strong enough to whip this on my own. Um, and then I can go face God um, or be with the saints. And that's that pride. And so, and that we still fight, I still fight that just being able to completely lay everything at the feet of the savior and bear your entire soul um, and say, I, I need your help today. Um, that for me, that was the thing to learn. Um, uh, yeah. I love you reading directly from the addiction recovery manual. Um, I sense that that's near scripture for you, Chad, and has been so helpful in your life and other people have expressed the same power in those 12 steps and the role of the savior. More things you'd like to share with our listeners from the addiction recovery program. Um, a lot of the addiction recovery program elements can be found in the scriptures. <laughs> and my favorite example is Nephi. So Nephi did step four in second Nephi chapter four. And he said, and upon these plates, I write the things of my soul. And this is the part where his father had died and he had everything laid on his shoulders. And he goes through and he writes the good in his life. And then he writes the bad in his life. The times when he's prone to anger. Right. And he mentions that a few times. And he, and then, so he does his personal inventory in the scriptures for us to read. And then at the end of that, At the end of that, he says, I will trust in the Lord God forever. I won't trust in the arm of flesh. I will rely upon the Savior forever. And for me, like say, and that's just one example that the atonement that is found in the, in the addiction recovery program each of those steps can be found in different scripture stories. And so as I read the scriptures and as I continue to go through the, the manual, I am able to find those parallels and it brings the scriptures alive to me. I love that. And I love that, you know, different stages of our life, we read the scriptures and different parts um, pop out to us and different impressions come into our mind based on the things we're working through, or if we're a parent, the things we're trying to get inspiration to help our kids. 
you know, I you know this, um, Chad, but I used to think that every time I messed up, it just added to the burden of the Savior, and so I kind of wanted to do it all on my own. But I love that I've come to understand, which I think you understand, is the Savior's already paid the price. He doesn't want us to yeah. go alone. He is prepared to take on our burden because he's already paid the price. It makes him happy when we do what you've done and what I do and what we all need to do is is he's waiting to take upon our burden, whatever kind of burden, sin-related or not sin-related. And there's this Puritan sort of do it on our own, we'll fix ourselves and we'll come back to the church or we'll come back to God or we'll reconnect to the Savior. And, you know, as you're teaching us, that's not the plan. The plan is to do what you're doing and and what we all need to do. And we we shouldn't do life alone. Um, Oh, now, the other part about messing up, which which I had to learn, is that I always visualized it as like climbing a ladder on the side of a big grain silo, right? And I was halfway up or wherever, and when I messed up or I relapsed, then I slid all the way to the bottom and I had to start again, right? And that's how, you know, all the addicts that I've ever met in that space. That's how you feel. That's just what Satan puts in your mind and heart is that you've, no matter how long it's been, if you mess up, you, you're back to square one, right? And you have to start it all again. And that's so difficult to do when you have that mindset. It's so easy to want to give up. And for me, being able to switch to the idea of for a while I was into backpacking and I still love it, but um, being in the mindset and the visualization of climbing a trail, going on a hike, right? If I've traveled 12 miles and I trip on a rock and fall down and skin my knee, I'm not back at my car at the trailhead, right? I've still come this far. I've still climbed this high. All I've done is tripped. And if I will just pick myself up, I'm still in this, I'm still so far. And I can just continue walking from here. And the Savior understands that. That makes sense? It's powerful. That's one of the powerful examples of that. Um, right. I wish- <laughs> and um, Richard G. Scott, in one of the talks he gave on the atonement, and in in this is that he said that the savior looks at weakness much differently than he does rebellion right rebellion um is one thing but weakness is looked upon with compassion and mercy um and grace if we ask for it humbly <sighs> I love that. And I think we need to give that to ourselves. So, yeah. Um, I'm so let's everybody that's on a hike and we've all and skinned our knee. I've always felt, Chad, that's the greatest test of our character is not if we skinned our knee or not, but what we do next. So the, mm-hmm. that's not giving permission to mess up or skin our knee, but I think the greatest test of our character is what we do then. And do we look forward? I'm on your hike with you. 
Do we look backwards and say, I'm back to square one, everything I've done is for naught, and just fill ourselves with shame? Or do we look forward and say, look how far I've come, what happened here, what caused me to trip up, use it as a pragmatic learning experience, don't sort of binge, you know, some people mess up and then they just binge because they think there's no hope for them. And But I think those skinning knee moments are key. And I used to invite the YSAs to sometimes have a private journal, um, sort of what led them to skin their knee, what they learned from it. Because I always felt there's a big yeah. difference between lapsed and relapsed. And lapse is the skinning of your knee. Could be a very positive learning experience to help you continue on that hike. Relapse is sort of give up, I'm back to square one, and just all the negative thoughts that right. can come into your mind that just, you know, back to the silo ladder, you're back at the beginning of the ladder and yeah, yeah. all the work you've yeah, done. You're 100% right. So, listeners, I think that's really important. And I love your quote from Elder Scott. Um, so, be really kind to yourself when you skin your knee. I think that's the greatest test of your character is what you can do. There'll come a time when you never skin your knee. I'd look at it as every skinning of your knee is one step closer to never skinning your knee again and right. getting to the top of the mountain. But be kind to yourself. Right. Um, Satan wants to take those skinning knee moments and fill you with all those thoughts that just separate you from God and the atonement. So I love well, your, I'll keep talking, Chad. Well, and so if a person is trying to quit smoking, like if I have a friend who's trying to quit smoking and they go from two packs a day down to a cigarette a day, that's incredible progress, right? Or if they go for a few months and they don't have a smoke and then they have a smoke, it's stressful. Um, that's fine. I'm not going to judge them for it. I understand. So we need to have that outlook with pornography and have that same grace for people. And we just need to, I don't know how to get rid of this stigma of shame with pornography, but I mean, yeah. Talk to your, you're in your mid forties and you know a lot about this space now and you develop a lot of tools, understanding if you could talk to your teenage self, pre-mission self that was, involved with pornography what would you tell a younger chad cannon and this is you talking to teenagers and so i would a hundred percent say open up and talk and ask for help like just ask for help because there are people who are there that love you and want to help you Yeah, that, that would be it. Talk to guys or women that have a, you know, have a, or I try to use language that some of my other guests have taught me. <laughs> um, instead of addiction, I, pornography use, um, it's probably semantics, but talk to people that um, are married and are viewing pornography and haven't told their spouse and they kind of want to, they're just, they kind of want to solve this on their own and then maybe tell their spouse they're over it or never <laughs> tell their spouse. Um, talk to people that are viewing pornography and haven't talked to their spouse. You have thoughts for them. 
I would, boy, I would just say, talk like you would hopefully would talk to them about everything else. And like, if they love you, then they will help you through it. And, you know, I would talk to in a, just humbly, I would, the same as the other question, just humbly ask for help. Just humbly say, I want this to be out of my life, and I'm asking for help. These are the things that I'm willing to do. I'm asking for your help. Yeah. Do you want to talk more about just how how long you go you talk to your wife and how long you've been walking this road together? Um, is there... Did you talk to her before you were married or did you feel like you didn't need to talk no. to her about it because it would go away? And yeah, just I just thought more that it thoughts would in this space you want to share. Um, yeah, I didn't talk to her at all. And I stayed away from pornography for probably six months, the first six months of my marriage. And then I hid it for a couple years and then Anyways, and then it was just a, a thorn in the side. It was just a huge stumbling block in our marriage. Um, I don't know, Richard. That's a hard one for me to answer, honestly. It's not easy. So I'm asking kind so, of tender questions, but I, I yeah, yeah. it sounds like you've talked to your wife about this for a long time. This isn't just the last yeah. two years. No, um, this is something that it's been a thorn in your side and you've been willing to talk about that. And listeners, okay, I will say this, I will ahead. say this. So <sighs> it's a tendency of people in this space to only share a part of the truth, right? And you do that with your spouse a lot um, as you, in the time in the time frame that you think that you can whip this on your own and you're going to battle this on your own, a lot of the times you only reveal half the truth, right? Because they'll accept me if I'm only this amount of bad, right? But they won't accept me if I'm this amount of bad. But if I reveal this amount of truth, then they'll love me and we can work through it. And you hide the rest of that. And so... For me, I did that for a long time, and that just didn't work. It was not until I revealed and was able to reveal the entire truth, and then even when I relapsed, I was able to reveal the entire truth. Hey, I, you know, I messed up today. This is what happened exactly. You know, I acted out or whatever. Once you're able to reveal the entire truth and know that your spouse will accept that entire truth, then it's easier to open that line of communication. At least it was for me. Um, and so I would say that. I don't know. I, I know. That's very helpful. And I think one of the 12 steps is just to be completely honest. Yeah, it um, is. Which I really like. Listeners, it's just a tough topic. Um, I think one of my listeners talked about betrayal trauma, the the spouse um, 
that's in a marriage where one is viewing pornography. And so I think Chad and I would recognize that there's betrayal, trauma, trauma for in a situation for the spouse and he or Mm -hmm. she, she in this case would need, could need therapy also to work through that. And, and that's probably where the atonement can help both. Um, We can't be each other's saviors sometimes (laughs) Um, where we need, you know, the savior to help each of us and therapists to help each of us as we have a common goal. I'm not a marriage and family therapist, but whenever I'm, faced with a situation like this, I, I ask couples, is your goal to keep the marriage together? Um, do you share the same common goals? And a lot of couples in these situations say, yeah, we do. We do have a goal to keep the marriage together. We do have a goal. We love each other. This is just complicated. So I think, you know, that's just some thoughts on this as, as you may be navigating this, but I, it just takes courage to be fully honest and fully vulnerable, but I think that's the cornerstone of a really healthy marriage. And knowing what you know now, would you have talked to your wife about your pornography use in the dating process? And would what would your advice, that's sort of your advice to men and women that are viewing pornography um, in a serious relationship, thinking about marriage, what would your advice be for those people? Yeah, I think it's a conversation that needs to be had in this day and age because pornography is way more easily accessed than it was back before the internet, you know, and cell phones that can access high speed internet with browsers and, you know, all the, everything that's there now. So I absolutely would say yes, you know, along with finances and, you know, all the other things that you want to discuss before you're married. Absolutely. You know, how has pornography affected your life should be a question. Um, have you ever struggled with it? What have you done to, right, uh, to, you know, kick it out of your life? Or what have you done to rectify that? But I think just the question, how has pornography affected your life, opens a huge door. Because even if they themselves haven't viewed it, they may share a story of, a sibling or a parent or someone else in their life that it's affected and then it has affected them. So I think it's just a great question. I'm with you on that. And I think being really vulnerable and honest in the dating process is part of, you know, getting that foundation and really understanding each other. I think sometimes we want to present our very best selves and sometimes that can take all the way up to the altar where our full authentic real self doesn't really come out until later in marriage. And so I think that, you know, we can be mature enough dating that we are pretty honest and vulnerable with the reality of our life. And often when a partner opens up, that allows the other partner to be pretty safe opening up. And listeners, I have a book coming out. I've mentioned it a little bit. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. It'll be out in Q1 of 2022. But one of the chapters is pornography um, because we just need to improve our culture as you know, Chad, and many listeners do, to um, sh- shame is Satan's greatest tool to isolate us from Heavenly Father, isolate us from talking. So I think talking about pornography in an appropriate, open way is one of the key ways to solve pornography use. And so I'm grateful for brave people like Chad that step forward. And And in the book, I talk about what Chad talks about to have these conversations, but I have kind of a nuanced view that 
And I assume Chad would agree that every, you know, you, if you're dating, you need to figure out the best path forward for you. If someone opens up about their pornography, that I would discourage you from having a black and white rule um, that you'd never marry somebody that has a current or prior porn problem. I'd, I'd encourage you to find out, and then I'd encourage you to ask Heavenly Father for what is the best plan forward for you. And it may be to end that relationship, but it may not be. And so I just think every situation's different. I have met, you know, incredible people working through a pornography use problem that I've seen go on to, you know, that I are really outstanding people. And this is a coping mechanism, and this isn't a core moral defect. The core of them is awesome and beautiful. Right. And this isn't out of rebellion. It isn't out of desire. Okay, what am I going to do to disappoint God or turn my back on God or not keep my covenants? This is not usually an act of rebellion. It's an act of coping. It's an act of escaping. Right. It's an act of dealing with loneliness that then can become an addiction. It's still a sin. Um, and it's something obviously Chad wishes he never got fault in. Um, because it's you know, it's been a real painful thing. But there's blessings that come of this, which is your understanding of the atonement and being able to be in a podcast like this and help people in a real authentic <laughs> way. Yeah. Well, that's for me, that's one of those existential questions is, you know, what would my life look like if I had stayed clean from this? But, you know, all the amazing experiences of, you know, those meetings and the amazing experiences I've had on my knees in the process of repentance. I, perhaps I would have had different experiences to make me the person I am today, but right. And it's the same with my illness, right? So the, and I'm switching gears a little bit here, but I mean, the last two years have been so incredibly hard, but the last two years have been an amazing spiritual journey that would not have been made had I not become ill, right? And spent months in the hospital and, you know, been on all the chemo treatments and, you know, everything else that I've gone through. So, you know, in the mix, if that's what it took to meet the Savior, then that's what it took. Pretty thoughtful insight. If you ever go down the road, this is a tender question, that this is your leukemia is a punishment for your pornography use? I don't want to put that thought in your head if it's never been there, but <laughs> no, some people no. sort of look at bad things that come in their life and they're because they did bad things and... I've always been kind no. of uncomfortable with that. So do you separate these two, Chad? Yeah, I, I never have felt that way at all. No. Good. Um, I think it's because yeah. you understand our Heavenly Father and His love for you. And I hope it's, I hope I didn't put a thought into your brain that hasn't been there. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Because so. sometimes I think we try to reverse engineer 
either in our own lives or others' lives. And when something bad happens, we sometimes reverse engineer and because I think it protects us. So I don't have leukemia <laughs> and you do. So sometimes listeners, this we sometimes look at people's situation and protect us emotionally. That couldn't happen to us. Sometimes we try to reverse engineer and try to find a backstory of why something's happened to something that hasn't happened to us. But I think that just takes emotional capital and our ability then to um, spend that capital on what can I do to help Chad Cannon that has leukemia? Um, what can I do to help people in my circle that are having different experiences than me? Right. No, I've never thought that. So good. I, uh, do you, you think know, why would... you have a leukemia? Here you are um, in the prime of your life, a father of four. Do you go down the why I have leukemia or do you, how do you process that? Yeah. So that I, Absolutely do. <laughs> so, because I was able to get active in the church, I was able to put pornography behind me, um, and the you know, and, and all of that. I was able to finish my degree. Wow! I was able to get my health to a position. So. I've always had, I was born with heart problems and I've had many heart surgeries and wow. have a pacemaker. So, um, so there's been times when I haven't been able to work full time. And so I got to a point where I was healthy enough that I was working full time. It was the first full time job I had had in a long time. And that's a huge thing to be able to be on the path of providing financially for your family for the first time in a very long time, right? So in my mind, in the summer of 2019, like I thought, okay, I'm finally where I'm supposed to be. I'm free of pornography. I've got a degree. I'm working a great full-time job that's putting me on the path to be able to provide for my family, right? I'm serving as a ward clerk, and I'm being a great part of my ward, and I'm doing all these good things, right? Like, this was the best summer. You know, we were able to do things with the family, and and so when I goes hiking with my kids and all those things. And so then I found myself with leukemia down at Huntsman Cancer Center, which is an amazing place. And, you know, and I've spent a couple months down there, you know, fighting for my life and complications, you know, everything that comes with a, with a cancer journey, the ups and downs. And so absolutely in this whole space, that's the question is, what's the path? Because I thought I was on the path that I was supposed to be on. So if that wasn't the path that the Savior wants for me, then what is the path for me now? Right? So is my journey going to be cut short in a few years? and? And my kids, we've dealt with all this. We've made all the plans, right? I've, I don't have the headstone etched yet. But we've got all the plans, <laughs> wow. you know, in case something happens and everybody knows and 
we've come to terms with it and we've taken trips and right. So it, so maybe I go quick in the few years and maybe this is just another part of my journey and I live till I'm 85, right? Who knows? But that's, so you asked the question of that and that's the answer is I'm still trying to answer that. Um, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? And for me, the answer is, I don't know, but I'm going to keep serving in my calling. I'm going to keep spending time with my family. I'm going to keep trying to be a good minister to the families that I have been assigned to minister to and the families that I've ministered to in the past. Um, and for that, or excuse me, for now, that's the answer to the question. That's all I know. It's really a thoughtful answer, Chad. Thanks for sort of sharing that with us and even the realities of just the practical side of what you've had to do and um, the unknowns of your future. If your priorities change. So, I mean, it is kind of ironic that this this disease came into your life in the very best time of your life where your future trajectory was the most set and you'd accomplished all this groundwork had been laid um, with your education and solving porn and returning to the church that, you know, your future was the clearest and the most hopeful and the brightest with the best foundation. And then this comes into your life and it's sort of, you know, my older self would have given some simple answer like this was God's plan or my newer self would just say, I don't understand the complexities of this and your family obviously needs you. (laughs) Um, And so I don't try to give simple platitudes anymore that dismiss the complexity of your situation because there's no, it's to me, it under, it minimizes the complexity, but talk about, um, this is sort of you talking to 45 year old men that don't have leukemia. What has changed with your priorities? Just knowing this, your life could end in a couple years. You know, what is it brought into focus that wasn't there? Um, I tell my kids every day, all just as much as I can, that I love them no matter what, full stop. No matter what, there's nothing that they could do that would ever stop them from being loved by me. Um, And I tell them that I have a testimony of the Savior, and I want them to know that I believe in Jesus Christ, and I want to be a good Christian. And then I try to demonstrate that through actions, Um, whether it's giving. So I carry, if I was to show you right now in the center console of my car, I carry a huge amount of granola bars. And then anytime I see anybody on the street, we're, we're always giving out granola bars to people who are on street corners and wishing them well. So anyways, and then we, I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm not saying this to broadcast it, but just 
you know, we try to pay for meals for people, you know, that we uh, see in a restaurant that may need anyways, they're behind us in a line. And, you know, as much as we can, we try to give back that way all the time, just, and tell them that they should never, ever, ever judge people by what they look like, you know, just never, never, never know. Right. So those are the types of things that have changed and that I do with my kids and my wife. That's cool. That's really cool. Talk about your parent of LGBTQ. I don't know if you want to, I don't know how out anybody is in your family. So I'll just let you take it from there. Um, you could talk about that space. It's a new space for you as we talked ahead of time. And yeah, just yeah, it's an- what your what your feeling is there and what you're doing there. <laughs> Pretty much the same thing. So, which is just to let them know that I love them no matter what. And like, I'm here anytime you want to share your journey. I just want to understand the highs and the lows, what things are hard, what things have become easier. Just, I just want them to let them know that I love them no matter what. So, and that's really all I've got right now. Cause again, I'm so new in this space that it would be silly of me to claim any sort of uh, experience or, uh, you know, uh, anything like that. I'm so new that I don't know anything other than just to say I love them and I want to understand more about their journey. Well, that's pretty cool. You know, if you're a new parent in this space, I think what Chad is sharing is just gold. Um, those two things you're sharing, Chad, I get actually tears in my eyes because this unconditional love you're sharing to your children that you've felt from the Savior in your own life, and hopefully we've all felt it from our Heavenly Parents and the Saviors, the same grace and kindness you're extending to your children. But then right. the willingness us um, to be able to say, I'm learning, and I don't know, and I recognize that I need yeah. to learn, and and tell me your story. Um, so these two things aren't synonymous at all, but... <laughs> Back when meetings were still being held, ARP meetings, addiction recovery meetings were being held, I went into one once, and there was a gentleman we spoke for a while, you know, previous to the meeting, just visiting with people, and nice guy and everything. And then as we sat down, he said, um, you know, my name is so-and-so, and I have struggled with pedophilia and pornography. And that was shocking to me to hear that, right? And it, it just set me on edge for a second. But then just immediately, I just understood that the Savior loves him every bit as much as he loves me. And he's worthy of healing and repentance every bit as me, right? No matter what. He's trying to reach for the Savior and use the atonement of the Savior to change his life. Um, so 
if the Savior loves him, then I can love my kids no matter what. Um, one of our guests, Amy Pearson, whose husband was working through pornography, she coined a line for me. It's just, it's just stuck in my brain. My worth is set. Everything else is experience. And I think sometimes we think our worth comes and goes or our worthiness to have a relationship with our heavenly parents and the savior comes and goes. But I believe, um, worthiness to go in the temple comes and goes. Worthiness to hold a church calling can come and go, but our worth is set. And nothing we can do can take us outside our heavenly parents' love and this, the reach of the Savior's atonement. And I think you're, and I think when we learn that as individuals, it helps us as parents um, yeah. with our own children. Now, before Chad and I went live, Chad made a distinction that is really helpful because even though he's got LGBTQ, um, children, I don't know if that's plural or singular in his home, um, in his work through pornography use, he did mention those are different. And I like to put it up, um, it, an addiction is something you try and then you get hooked on. But being LGBTQ, which sometimes sometimes people compare to addiction, I think is not correct because people don't try to be LGBTQ and become LGBTQ. It's not an addiction. It can't. It isn't overcome. Um, it's just like a character attribute. Like I'm right-handed and have blue eyes and gray hair now. Um, right. I didn't try anything to get blue eyes. It's just an inherent attribute. So right. But the prince. Well, but the the but the shame that is felt. Yes. So there's some sometimes with LGBTQ people, right? Or the fear of communicating their situation with others that's the same talk more right? about that and then talk more about that Chad. well i was afraid to come out you know with my addiction i was afraid that people would judge me and ostracize me and you know they would judge our family and ostracize our family so i was afraid of that and that created a lot of shame in me, right? And I suspect that sometimes kids may feel shame because they're scared of what people will say if they were to come out, right? And I think that that is... Uh, I don't know if it's typical, but that can be an unfortunate byproduct of church culture, you know, maybe more in areas, you know, along the Utah Wasatch Front or, you know, in East Idaho or right where the church culture is very heavy in life, that it may be just inherent that they're scared that they will be ostracized. and and it, And so... I hope they just know that they won't be. And if there's a small amount of people who do, there may not be worth having in your life anyways, right? They may not be the type of people who are healthy emotionally for you um, and that love you. And so they, they could be just people who they, you need to get rid of anyways. Like there was a few people I needed to get rid of in my life, 
right? So that I could be more the person I wanted to be, right? So I had to stop hanging around a few people and choose to cut them out of my life so that I could be better. So, but I think the shame is the same. Talk about the role of the atonement. Is there similarities between what you've learned in the 12 step? And this is again on addiction that, that apply not an addiction standpoint, but the atonement of Jesus Christ to give hope and healing to LGBTQ people. In step two, well, step two just says, come to believe that the power of God can restore you to complete spiritual health. And as I've listened to many of your podcasts and the good that you're doing, those in that space, in the LGBTQ space, that are in good spiritual health are able to, it seems like they're able to face coming out and face that fear, you know, face any of those fears that they have because of their relationship with the Savior. And so, you know, I think that's an important part of that maybe to, you know, focus on your journey with the Savior and see if that makes it easier to navigate the space. I love that. I I just think there's some parallels here about the atonement, that Christ descended below all things, our worth is set, heavenly parents love their LGBTQ children. There's some differences, um, but I hopefully listeners were doing a good job of of drawing a line in the differences. I think Chad is very good at understanding the differences. Um, I don't, we don't have your LGBTQ children on the podcast, but I would hypothesize that when they came out, they knew dad could just love them because you've been open about your own journey and you've been open and vulnerable and real and authentic. And this is a little bit of a hypothesis on my part, but parents that are real and authentic and, and can kind of just be, don't have to be perfect in the eyes of their kids. Their kids then can be not perfect in their eyes too, and be more likely to just be open. We want to create family cultures where our kids will talk to them about what's really going on in their life. So my guess is your kids, kid, kids felt safe coming out to you. I don't know if you want to comment on that. <laughs> Um, so honestly, with my oldest, um, I think that there was some trepidation because they grew up in a time when I wasn't in a good place. Spiritually. That's, honest. That's honest. And so I have had to play catch up, um, with them and their, you know, in our relationship with them. Um, uh, they're non-binary mm-hmm. and uh, trans, and uh, so there was some trepidation coming out, and they, you know, just because they, f- you know, felt like they wouldn't fit in with with anything, and and so I've just had to continually say, no matter what, you know, we love you, and we just want to know more about your journey. Um, 
with my second oldest, I think it was a lot easier for her to come out as bi. And she's in a relationship. She's in a committed relationship with a trans person and uh, who has been in our home a ton. And he has uh, read scriptures with us. He has gone to church with us a ton. Um, we've invited him to take the discussions, uh, which, you know, he said he's not quite ready for, which is perfectly fine. But I mean, I'm trying to love him because he's worthy of love and he needs love, not because we hope that he'll join the church or anything like that. Right. Like it doesn't really matter. And even with, with my daughter, it doesn't really matter if she goes to church, you know, she's gone off to college now. Um, it doesn't really matter. Obviously, you know, there's things that we want as active LDS parents for our children because we have felt the good effects of the church in our lives. But I wonder if maybe I don't understand, uh, you know, if there's some hurt or harm that